Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you. Oh, I just flew in this morning. Man, are my arms tired. I'd like to start again, but uh, in the interest of time, we won't spare you from another poor joke. Uh, At least the flight was good because the finish to the game last night in Charlottesville was not. You know, it was sitting there, and much like we did in the Notre Dame game, Deckerhoff and I are kind of looking at each other, and I'm going, this this is not setting up well. And uh, when everything was said and done, of course, the last two points – on the two free throws with .1 second left, that count. But it was a 6-0 run, or 0-6 run, however you want to talk about it, that propelled uh, Virginia to their victory last night. And and Florida State just didn't have an answer. And you go back and look at the plays that was drawn up with Wilkes taking the shot from the top of key, was very contested. And then MJ taking the shot from the left corner, which didn't hit anything. It didn't hit rim. That was Trent, wasn't it? Wasn't it Forrest that missed that one? I thought it was MJ, whoever it was. We were blocked almost the entire game with Coach Ham standing in front of us and that type of thing. My point being, you you love those guys, but at no time do you absolutely feel like they're going to make a shot like a like an Isaac or a Bacon. We, we just haven't developed that person I yet. I feel that way about Vassell, but the challenge is the other team. The other team the other, yeah. And so my point is we're getting there, and, and that's not to besmirch or say anything bad about Wyatt or MJ or Trent, whoever to – but we got to get that guy. That That's kind of almost the last missing piece, that when you've got to have a shot made that's that'll get close because ne- you know, neither one of those hit anything. Uh, we don't quite have that guy yet. And that's something that another three, four, eight games would propel you to. Um, we we played into um, Virginia's uh, tempo, but but Virginia does that to everybody. And I was talking all during the broadcast. We, we we had no transition baskets. We had no fast break baskets. We didn't get out and run. They don't let you get out and run. And, and oh, the stat that was on social media was that Virginia contested forty nine of fifty three possessions or something. In other words, you got no good, clean, exactly. uncontested looks. And then the other thing is, and particularly with the big guy, I know Kaprovica had the flagrant two, and he was uh, basically ejected at the seven-minute mark, but um, neither he nor Dominic yet are, you know, have the ability to distinguish between laying the ball off the glass and going for a dunk up around the rim, because both of them had some shots blocked, and being confident doing that, where they don't even have to think about it. And, and again, Hamilton, Coach Hamilton said this in the postgame. That's a good Virginia team. you got to give them credit. We played well. We just got a few other finishing things that need to take place to be where we want to be. Well, getting Balsha back two games ago, he, he's got some skills. and, and he, I mean, he's already coming from a good place. I don't know how much Dominic will evolve as, as, a, as a senior, but in this offense he can get more comfortable. To me, Patrick Williams is really missed, and I know he hasn't done a lot on offense, but defensively and rebounding, up a lot. defensively and rebounding, when, he's unbelievable. When there's been blowbys this year, and we continue to see him, he's been an eraser coming in to block a guy from behind. And also, if, correct me if I'm wrong. Now the Notre Dame game they won, but that would have been him inbounding the pass at the end instead of Raekwon, I believe. That is which, correct. 
is, and I'm not picking on Raekwon there, but you'd have the guy basically, and as I thought about that game, you know, your options were to run what you want to run where the other four guys are in the same spot and you're just using Raekwon, i.e. the backup to Pat Williams there. Or you could switch everything around and have somebody different inbound run a different end. But anyway, the bigger point here is is Pat Williams, even though he has not found his, himself offensively, he's not assertive enough offensively. Defensively, they've missed him. Very much so. And and when you look at it, the, the way this year has gone, to be 17-3, and three, they've, they've so overachieved from, maybe not from what they thought, but from what general public, what we thought. And, you know, Raekwon, the point guard, Missed six weeks in the preseason. Now you've had Balsha, who was out for three weeks. MJ is in out of a lineup almost weekly. He's got he, they some, turned an ankle in this ball game and was out for a, a short period. After of time. a headache, sent him to the bench the other night. Patrick Williams has been out, uh, and that plus the fact that they had these two bye weeks with one game in between. I think now we're at the point where you're playing more regularly. You know, you're going to play two games a week the rest of the way. Hopefully, Balsha is here to stay, and Pat Williams come back, comes back soon. Patrick Williams. Uh, they'll get a little in a little bit more of a groove. And the other thing, you'll you'll start, and this is tough, but I, I think it may be as a positive for this club. You've got two or three weeks. I have to check of Saturday Monday games. Yeah, so you have a quick turnaround. And as deep as Florida State's bench is, uh, you're not worried about fatigue. What you are worried about is, is, is game planning and that type of thing. But I think this team plays well when when they don't have a lot of time to think about it and a lot of downtime. And so we'll see. It's going to be interesting as you move forward. I was disappointed. Uh, Coach Ham came on in the post game, and he was very upbeat. I, w- I was afraid he was going to be disappointed. He just said, look, you know, this is Virginia. They are the defending national champions. Maybe they're not the number one team in the country, but they've got good players. And and, and we came up short, and, and we have identifiable things now that we can stress. He says, previously we've been teaching these things in a win – and and now we're going to teach them in a loss, and I, I don't know which one the kids will pay more attention to, but certainly there will be a bad taste in their mouth when they look at it today, tomorrow, and the next day. More basketball in a second. We've got a good show coming up. We'll talk uh, football with Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. Go heavy into recruiting one week from signing day. That's coming up a little bit later. Also, Jim Curry from the Athletics Administration at Florida State, and uh, it'll be a good conversation about how the schedule is put together. There's a lot of questions. The FSU football schedule came out a week ago. Uh, you know, how much say does FSU have? What are they looking to try to do? He'll address those questions when he joins us next segment. Uh, on the basketball side of things, do you see anything wrong with Trent Forrest? I have a theory on what I'm seeing, but I want your... Uh, I think he's playing too many minutes. And, and you know, he's playing 32, 33 minutes. I think he's better suited at, at 27 or 28. And, and as a result, I think he's not taking shots from the perimeter that I would like for him to take. He's not a great three-point shooting player. He's gotten much better. But uh, I think if he would take some of those threes, that he would start gaining his confidence. But I'll be very, very interested in your theory. My theory is, well, your minutes point probably rate, relates back to the point about Raekwon I made earlier. Had he not missed six weeks of preseason, you may be very much more so. consistent oh, yes. out of him. No question. Uh, is it Raekwon Evans? I'm, I'm yes. wanting to say Raekwon Gray. Raekwon Evans. That's why I've just been shortening it to Raekwon. I couldn't get the last name correct. No, I think when you look at Trent Forrest, I think he can still take over games at the end. I think the last few years he's had upperclassmen and steady parts and pieces around him more than what, i.e. Terrence Mann and Kofor and all the guys that that were upperclassmen. And now there's been more newer parts, Uh, even though Vassell and MJ have been here, they're kind of in different roles. And so uh, whether it's trying uh, too hard to get them involved or the other parts and pieces are not in the right places as consistently as what man and some others were. Uh, he hasn't had the same success. So I guess that's my way of saying, I don't, I don't think he's hurt. I don't think he's pressing. I think he still has that ability. It just hasn't come together quite the same way as when you had a, a more veteran team. I mean, the reality is some of the stuff we saw last night is what we expected to happen more frequently for as many players turned over on the roster from a year ago no question and the other thing and, and i wish i had a much better basketball mind uh but the way on ball screens the way they stretched out and made florida state really extend when they were trying to go left or trying to go right uh there there's got to be something you can do to counter that and 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 obviously you only see that against virginia they're the most dominant team to do that but when when uh, Huff and and uh, Diaquinte, I mean, they'll stretch that thing out three more steps when you're trying to get around that ball screen, 
Uh, nobody else does that, and there's got to be a counter to that. And, then, of course, the last thing, and Florida State struggled with this, and you talk about where Patrick Williams would be help. Um, Coach Hamilton refers to it as a rim protector, someone right. that can go in and alter shots once a guard makes penetration. And, uh, you know, Kihei uh, Clark for Virginia is, is about as good as – I mean, he's as good as the kid from Miami about getting into the paint and making you struggle – to either cover him, try to block his shot, or he'll kick it out to the corner, as we saw him do it with Diakite. Um, I mean, it's just a good combination. Virginia's a good team. They, they've lost some games. They're not as recognized and respected as maybe last year, but but that's a good ball club and a good system. Okay, as promised, football talk is coming up on the other side of this break. I need to mention that uh, Tot Fest is coming up uh, this Saturday. I'm All sorry, you can say eat again? tater tots from two to six. <laughs> Uh, Madison Social will have ham and cheese tater tot kebabs with uh, tomato soup. You know, if you want to dip, that's a, that's a good good idea. Centrale has meatball tater tots. Now, are these the 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 coin tater tots, or are these the longer oblong round? I don't know, tater tots? but I do know for five bucks you can enter the tater tot eating contest, Keith. And the first one to eat a hundred is the big winner. So if wow. you'd like to display your skills. Well, you'll notice that because I know the difference between types of tater tots. You are an expert. No, I have a lot of grandchildren. Gotcha. Understand. Kids menu ordering is common when you're out. Yes, I I hear you. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Jim Curry from uh, FSU will join us. We'll talk about how the FSU football schedule was put together. That's right after this here on Front Row Knowles. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Appreciate Keith on the short night's sleep after the trek back from Charlottesville. Beating me to the studio today. Good job, Keith. I, was, I, I, I do was, my part. I do my part. I was late as always. We're going to open up the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, uh, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to Senior Associate Athletics Director from Florida State, Jim Curry. Jim, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate a few minutes of your time. I reached out to you earlier this week. You know, Scheduling and, and officiating are sort of the same thing. No matter what the schedule looks like or what the officiating looks like. It's bad. Somebody's, it's bad. somebody's not going to be happy about it. So let me start this by saying I think Florida State's schedule is fine. But in light of the fact that it came out last week, folks are always curious to know how is it made. And, and you know, the league will say they just they input everybody's non-conference and all these variables into a computer and it spits it out. But I guess as a starting point, you know, do, do, do schools, does FSU get to say, hey, we really need to play a home game this weekend or we really need a night game if it's early in September? I mean, how much say do you get when the ACC is putting this schedule together? Yeah, no, there, there's some there's some limited number of requests and, and, and you, you know, um, you can't be too specific. You can't always say I want to buy week before Clemson every year, but there's some there's some general requests we can make, particularly relative to um, bye weeks um, and also some things that are going on in the academic calendar for the fall that, uh, you know, kind of need to be conscious of. You know, we don't really have like a true fall break uh, where we've got multiple days off kind of on a week and they like to, you know, kind of schedule around that as well, which is understandable. Um, but uh, for the most part, it kind of centers around the bye week and, and just being kind of aware or cognizant of things that are going on in the respective academic calendars. So so that said, did, did Florida State request the bye week where it is in week four that early in the season, given the way the season starts? Yeah, that's correct. So that was our first request this year. So you get up to three requests each year. They usually don't get all three. Um, they try their best. Um, and and ours, one of our threes always kind of centers around the bye week. Sometimes we don't even submit three just because of the way the schedule's set up and how we kind of like the way it's kind of built already. Uh, with the non-conference schedule, but the uh, our, our first request this year was to take the bye in week four. Um, kind of a lot went into that. Um, you know, we actually originally were scheduled to have a home conference game that day in week four, and that had kind of been, you know, kind of tentatively set for some time actually, which we kind of liked coming off of the off of the Boise uh, road trip. 
but then also, uh, you know, having spacing between the two home games in September. And so initially we really kind of liked the layout between having six home games, two of them in September, knowing we'd have the one in, in November with Florida, but then the very likely scenario, we could kind of space it and have two each month. So, you know, one of the things that we're always thinking about is how many consecutive home games we've got as we build, both in the non-conference and the conference schedule, and how we make requests. So one of our requests, too, is to try to avoid, at least in this particular year, it doesn't, it doesn't work out every year, but in this particular, this particular year, was trying to avoid where we could as many back-to-back home weekends because, again, we're, we're just trying to space it out a little bit better, um, but knowing that we were going to be uh, away from Tallahassee kind of early on already. Well, we started to, when Coach Norvell came on board, we started to talk a little bit about the Boise game. And, you know, one of the things that we went back and started to look at was, you know, turnaround time on a four-hour trip home, losing two hours, um, coming back to Tallahassee, and then having to play a conference game the next week. And as we sat down, um, you know, we started kicking around the idea, and this is, you know, Coach Norvell as well, just kind of thinking, thinking a little bit forward thinking here, but you know, about whether or not we'd want to take the buy there. And so, you know, we did a little bit more research and found out that since 2013, Boise's only had uh, three non-evening or non-night home games uh, since then. Um, so the chances of us getting a home uh, or a, a, an evening game at Boise uh, was, would seem likely just based on, you know, precedent. Now, this also predated them – uh, this conversation predated the their renegotiation of their home uh, 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 their home uh, home game contract for television purposes and the potential and all the scuttle about the potential of a of a twelve noon uh, kickoff here on the East Coast, which again hasn't been said. It's just been discussion, but uh, we've seen it out there. Um, so, but at the but by that time we had already made the request and felt really good about uh, taking the buy in week four. Um, and uh, taking that into uh, that by leading into coming off of the long trip out to Boise and the time change, but then also going into conference play. Jim, from a factual standpoint, how how obligated is Florida State to the Friday night and the Thursday night games uh, relative? And just in an overview, because we're going to have Syracuse on Thursday night, gives you nine days before the Florida game. Obviously, Florida State hates playing and. and We'll jump up and down and scream bloody murder about playing a Thursday night game at home because of the Friday at at at, at school and the on campus facility. But but what are the actual parameters for those Friday night and Saturday, uh, Thursday night games? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the league is obligated to sixteen non Saturday games. So that's just an important thing to know, kind of out the jump, is that we've got uh, the Monday night game on Labor Day that the con- that the ACC is is obligated to, and then there's uh, five Thursday, five Friday, and five non-Saturday, I guess, that go on the, on the ACC network. So that's a total of 16 games throughout the season that are obligated to a non-Saturday. Um, and so having 14 teams in the league, your odds of being on a, at least once on a, on a non-Saturday is pretty high. Um, you know, for comparative sake, uh, BC and Wake Forest have three of those games this year. Clemson actually has two. Um, and, and we've obviously got one, um, and last year we didn't have any, um, and that was actually a little bit of a, 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 a favor that the league did for us, kind of seeing where one could have gone um, and a long trip uh, that would have then kind of put us on the road at Florida the week after. So they actually did us a favor there last year and kept us all, all Saturdays, which was the first time that had happened in a number of years. Um, but uh, – you know, as, as much as our folks, uh, you know, they, it does give them a little consternation um, and, and obviously creates some logistical travel challenges for us as well. Uh, it, is a, it is just kind of a, just kind of the way it is, unfortunately, due to the ACC contract and some of the obligations we've got. And then also when you throw on top of the fact that institutionally we've, we just do not play those games on a day that we've got classes in session. So you recall we've obviously got the Mondays that we do and we'll open with Monday uh, next year against Notre Dame. But a few years ago, we did the Friday Veterans Day game with BC, which was really well attended. Um, and uh, but aside from that, if we've got a non-Saturday, we we will not do we will not host them at home when we've got a class day. And so that automatically, obviously, puts us into a road game scenario when we're looking at those. And to their credit, Wake and, and BC and some others, they kind of like those Thursday and Friday night games because yeah, they, have, like they have non-conference, uh, non-campus facilities. 
We're talking with Senior Associate Athletics Director Jim Curry from Florida State. Jim, I've asked you this before, but I'm, I'm going to ask it again. In other leagues, and maybe not every league, but I'm thinking of the SEC, the, the conference opponents are set in perpetuity. I mean, Florida knows when it's going to play Georgia, when it's going to play, uh, you know, whoever, Kentucky, because it's always the same weekend. So it's just a matter of home versus away. I know in the ACC, as the, as the conference has grown over the years, there's so many different variables. And you mentioned one of them. Some universities have fall breaks that they try to build in. But the bigger question there, is there any kind of movement or is there continued discussion about trying to get everybody to schedule their non-conference games over just X amount of weeks, like weeks one, two, and three or whatever, so that you could get more uniformity to the schedule long term? You know, I, I, I think it's a challenge, and I think everybody kind of recognizes that because particularly because of that scheduling relationship between four ACC teams and four SEC teams, with both teams being even-numbered, and having an even number of those games, you know, having them in the last week of the year actually helps create some balance throughout the league and not, I guess, disproportionately distribute um, or put in odd places some of the bye weeks in terms of balancing out. So that, that's an important dynamic for just the overall league scheduling model is understanding that relationship between the SEC and the ACC and those um, those rivalry games that take place at the end of the year and the balance that we able, we're able to achieve through having 14 teams in each league and then four games. Um, you know, on top of that, that scheduling relationship with Notre Dame certainly presents some different challenges to be able to, to set things as well. Um, it's where you kind of also see some, some kind of weird, weirdly placed um, uh, either bye weeks or non-conference opponents um, so actually, in 21, we're going to help the league out a little bit with some balance in in uh, the week. Someone's playing Notre Dame that week. I can't recall who off the top of my head, but we're actually going to play UMass that same week. Um, you know, a very and this is going to be in October. It's a very odd placed non-conference game. Um, but what we actually did is we had some flexibility and we helped the league balance the schedule a little bit. Um, and we see that you know throughout the schedule through all the teams. Um, as a byproduct of that scheduling agreement with Notre Dame. Um, and so, you know, with, with those two things alone, it, it's hard to kind of achieve some, some consistency with how we, um, you know, balance the league schedule um, and, and achieve maybe the, what you had talked about, about having kind of consistent, you know, opponents on certain dates or certain weekends. Um, you know, the other piece of that, too, is, is you, when you look at kind of the overall picture and how, um, the league and our television partners want to distribute content and, and ensure that we've got weeks that have marquee matchups. I mean, that, that's a big piece of this, and this also what goes into some of the delay that we've got uh, with the release of the schedule. You know, now into January each year is that you know they're they're trying to do their best too to make sure that we don't have a weekend that's got you know a primetime SEC and a primetime ACC and a primetime Big Ten and a primetime Big Twelve matchup all on the same weekend. You know, if they can work together, and they do, um, you know, in a very intentional fashion to try to distribute that throughout the throughout the calendar, um, and everybody's making moves in that regard too. It's not just the ACC, uh, but that that's part of the overall uh, schedule building process that takes place. That's not just isolated to Florida State or the ACC, but an overall picture that's occurring uh, kind of behind the scenes, but in a very intentional manner. Jim, any any movement, uh, new talks about moving to nine conference games? You know, it seems like that conversation kind of uh, comes up again every few years, and I think it probably is as we see kind of new athletic directors kind of come into the conference and understand that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess I would say that, it you know, it, it always kind of pops back up every few years. Um, but at, at this time, it doesn't seem like there's there seems to be a lot of momentum in that regard. Um, but then again, you know, you, you get enough transition in the league and, and it can get a little bit more movement uh, than maybe where it previously was. So uh, it's kind of where it sits right now. Let's talk bigger picture in Florida State's scheduling model or formula going forward. And, you know, going forward at this point, it's probably scheduling into the 30s because you got the 20s about wrapped up. But David Coburn has made it pretty clear in the, the, the sagging attendance in recent years, which not just at Florida State, I mean, it's been a national trend. You've got to get some anchors to that home schedule. And to that end, you know, there's a home and home with Alabama. There's a, a home and home with Georgia. Uh, it won't be a home and home, but there's another big series that's been out there. I don't know if that's finalized yet, talked about with LSU. Um, but kind of what is the recipe for, 
for Florida State when you look at when you start a year knowing you've got eight conference games and one against Florida, how are you trying to fill in the other three holes? Yeah, no, great question. So, um, I mean, generally speaking, our model is to play 10 power fives a year. Um, and so there have been years where we've only played uh, nine. That happened uh, actually last year. And then there's been years where we've played 11, which we did in 2014. Um, and so, but generally speaking, we're going to, we're going to be at 10 um, and, uh, and then throw in a group of five opponent at FTS. The, um, the, the, the one of the important pieces of building the schedule is making sure that we've got uh, I usually call it seven revenue opportunities, but either seven home games or six home games and a neutral site. So that's really important just in terms of you know building budgets and understanding how you want to put the schedule together. Um, and so uh, that's something we're we're really conscious of as as we're putting everything together. Now you also mentioned kind of what we've done with with neutral sites and home and home, and it's. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, we're, we're clearly seeing what's going on, you know, out there in the space. Um, we're listening to our fan base. Uh, so just know you're being heard. But, um, but yeah, we, we've, we've done some incredible things, I think, with the schedule and building some really uh, compelling home-and-home matchups with marquee opponents. You mentioned Georgia. You mentioned Alabama. And, and, and quite candidly, we, we had in, in some of those years, we had discussed an idea a number of years ago of putting a neutral site in one or two of those years. And, uh, you know, just in response to what we were hearing from our fans and, and just kind of seeing what was going on overall in the space, we, we, we moved away from that and went to a home-and-home model. So, um, you know, we've got a couple more neutral sites on the docket in the, in the near future. But, um, you know, beyond that, uh, you will see it will be, a, it will be marquee home-and-home matchups um, to really anchor the schedule uh, in, in the way that we, we, uh, we mentioned. And, and I mentioned that seven, that seven home game approach being really important to us and you know when we talk about you know do we do more than 10 you know power five opponents do we look at maybe 11 um you know one of the things that uh, comes into play with that is if we were to expand it up to 11 and start doing 11 you know power fives and be home and home in nature with that that would eliminate the ability to make sure we've got uh, or preclude us from having seven home games every year every other year we'd have to return a game uh, and we wouldn't be able to get a seventh home game in those years. So, um, you know, that's one thing that kind of goes into our analysis here as we start building the schedule is uh, not only making sure we've got marquee opponents, but that we're we're bringing those opponents here home to Tallahassee um, and that we've also got seven home games. Well, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but another complicating factor is because of our geography and how difficult it is for our fans, particularly in South Florida and Central Florida, to get up to Tallahassee, there is a compelling argument to play six home games and then another game somewhere where people can get to that's different than Tallahassee if the numbers work. You're exactly right. We've heard that before, too. I mean, there's been some favorable response when we've been very strategic about where we've taken some of these neutral site games. And, um, you know, I think we know how we've responded when we've gone to, to markets like Orlando um, and, uh, and, and Atlanta uh, for those types of things of, of late. So, um, you know, as much as we hear, you know, some pushback on those neutral sites, at the same time, we do hear a lot of favorable feedback in that regard as well. Uh, so uh, it, it's it's not all bad about the neutral sites. <laughs> well, and, and the Jacksonville folks will tell you that you owe them one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not afraid to remind us of that. <laughs> Jim, I had some other topics to, to delve into, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for another time. However, I do want you to know what the Jones block uh, – platform looks like and just give you a chance to respond here because you're our best conduit to anybody who would listen so number one for spring games spring football games uh we need to make these home and home and turn them into jamborees we can go play auburn auburn come down here something to spruce up the excitement of a spring game you can react when we're done here number two we need to nationalize officials so we can stop worrying about uh, conference officials having a bias and more than that so that there can be consistency in how the rules are enforced interpreted applied um, and number three, targeting. Can we just stop with the seven-minute delays during games and let the league office review that on Sunday and determine if the guy should be suspended or not? Just enforce the 15 yards and just keep playing ball? So that's our whole platform. That's what we got. Yeah, a lot of officiating talk. As a general rule, I try to stay away from that. Yeah, That's what I tell our coaches, too. Smart um, man. But well, <laughs> we, we invited Mike Bray on today, but he he declined, so we went to oh, you instead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would only would have been about a minute anyway, I'm sure. So, <laughs> But, <laughs> but uh, to your first point, though, um, 
you know, one interesting thing that is actually in discussion as we talk is the idea of allowing for uh, joint practices to occur in the sport of football. And uh, now this would not include, you know, you know, uh, you know, games and scrimmages, uh, more just drill work and skill work and, and positional work and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there is some discussion to that effect and the, and the potential for a vote on that actually here in the near future. Um, and, and again, it's kind of one of these things, too, where, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, uh, crawl a little bit and walk a little bit before you run. And, and so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that, um, how that concept is received and, and considered by the membership. But, um, you know, there is some discussion, you know, around that general concept and maybe um, some, th- and some things being considered that would potentially open up uh, the opportunity for that down the road. So uh, just something that maybe everybody kind of keep track of that uh, we, we could see that happen here in the near future if that gets a little bit of traction. So a little bit uncertain about where, where that's headed, but, um, but just know it's being discussed. Well, Keith and I will take full credit if and when it comes to <laughs> And uh, we'll let you off the hook on the officiating questions. We can we can save that for some other time. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Jim, we appreciate it. That's good insight. It's it's the kind of thing that I, I think a lot of people have questions about, and they're not really sure how the sausage is made. So uh, we appreciate you sharing some of the details there. Not a problem. Happy to, guys. All right. Senior Associate Athletics Director from Florida State, Jim Curry. Uh, good intel. Good to know that our idea is making progress. Well, the one you left out is starting the season a week early. Well, I, I you know, you, you, you decided not to go for it. Well, no, I just on the fly quickly thought of three things. Generally, things work better in threes. Once you get to a fourth, but that one didn't cross my mind. Otherwise, I might have eliminated one of those. That's all I got. I understood. No, I like, I do think there's, uh, some interesting points in there when you when you figure out all the moving parts to get the schedule put together. Here's the the cliff notes on officiating. We don't have, an, have to have an officiating discussion. The technology is so good that we're now much more aware when officials blow a call. And then social media creates the staying power for all the video replays of said blown call, and so it never dies, which – I don't have an answer to that, but it is. Uh, I, I do think. Well, I guess my answer would be: you got to nationalize officials and uh, you know enforce rules more consistently. That would help with some of that, but people would still be mad at officiating. Do you feel better? I do. I do. I'm not even angry, Keith. Well, see, matter of fact, progressed. I'm pretty. I'm pretty fired up because Patrick Burnham, uh, our Osceola insider, will join us next segment. We'll talk about what has been uh, good work on the recruiting trail for Mike Norvell and company. We'll do that right after this here on Front Row Knowles. On front row Knowles, some good schedule talk. Now we know who to file our complaints with, at least anyway, right? Well, now we got to talk about who are the kids that are going to play once we get the game scheduled. Well, we'll know officially next Wednesday for signing. Obviously, we know most of the kids that signed in the early signing period, but uh, we've got our Osceola insider on the line, Patrick Burnham, joined us. Pat, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? Good. Appreciate you joining us. I'll remind you, you can subscribe to the Osceola online at theosceola.com. Try a seven-day free trial or subscribe for just six ninety-five a month. Get the insight offered by, can I call you a coach's kid? I guess you're a coach's man at this point, huh? You're almost a coach's old man. I am a coach. I, I'm very close to being a coach's old man. Uh, that happens the day after national signing day oh I hit my milestone. must be a milestone <laughs> happy happy that's birthday right. that's right i don't know what they call it because i'm trying to avoid it but it's coming yeah well we're glad we got you on the show this week then just in case hey uh right. it, it, it's been uh, a fast and furious finish which you know and so, and it's a product of coaching change and you got to get some folks in but but this is sort of the way it used to be in the old days when there was only one signing day and you'd see all this activity but lo and behold Mike Norvell has has uh, created the buzz here with all the movement now what do they have four five six commitments over the last couple of weeks something like that well they've uh, secured five commitments since January 18th including uh, the two yesterday from Darian Williamson and uh, Marcus and Douglas who were both teammates at Hayward High School and uh Brownsville, Tennessee, and then, of course, they got Corey Wynn from um, New Orleans, John Curtis, Robert Scott, the offensive lineman from uh, Arkansas, and LaDamian West, the running back from Alabama, who was at Jones Junior College uh, this, uh, this season in Mississippi. So, yes, he's, uh, they're, they are finishing off this, strong, uh, this class strong. Uh, 
You know, they're all ranked uh, as the 20th best class in America today by 24-7 sports and the fourth best class in the ACC behind Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina, again, by 247 sports. Uh, but that ranking has moved up considerably nationally. I believe they were 26th or 27th at the start of this month and uh, have moved all the way up to 20th in the rankings. Of course, I'm a bigger proponent of let's go up, let's go up, uh, up the calendar three years and look back and see what kind of ranking that class should have had. But, yes, finishing off with a, uh, a flurry for sure. Let me just interject, too, that when you talk about fourth in the ACC, Clemson is head and shoulders above everybody else, and Miami and Carolina are a couple spots ahead of FSU. It's not like they're getting lapped there. It's pretty, pretty – No, evil. not at all. So the kids that committed yesterday from Brownsville, Tennessee, uh, Darian Williamson, 6'3", 190, is he coming in as a receiver or a linebacker? And he's the one who's a former Tennessee commit. You know, I, I think that he's good. he probably wants the ball in his hands. You know, all kids want to score touchdowns. It doesn't matter – uh, we want to play with the ball in our hands as long as we can. Uh, you know, he is an explosive athlete on both sides of the ball. But, you know, one of the things, there's not a tremendous amount of video of him playing defense. But And he is explosive as a wide receiver. But you, when he recognizes where the ball is going, hit the, the burst and explosiveness he shows getting to the ball to me is quite impressive. I don't know where ultimately he will end up. Uh, but he is certainly a good-looking outside linebacker prospect. Pat, it, it appears to me, and, and this is just a snapshot in the early going, but uh, Coach Norvell and his staff seem to be, and this this youngster is a perfect example, they're, they're targeting more athletes than than kids that are known to be, you know, the number four strong side linebacker, you know, out of Georgia or something. Is that is that a mistake on my part, or is that intentional? No, I mean, if you look at the kids they got coming in this weekend, for example, uh, you've got a guy like T.J. Davis from Metter Georgia High School who's 6'3", 230. He's as impressive a tight end as he is a defensive end. Uh, then you've got the uh, running back uh, coming, another running back coming out of Georgia who is, a again, a guy that could be a middle linebacker, uh, uh, D.J. Lundy from Irwin County High School. He's a very powerful running back at 6'1", 225, but then you line him up at linebacker on defense, and, uh, you know, he's just as impressive there. So I think what they're doing is they're going they're going out and finding football players that are athletes as opposed to trying to find athletes that might be football players. Uh, but, yes, I think the versatility helps, um, and it will certainly help benefit FSU's roster as these kids develop into whatever they become, and, you know, uh, the, the most interesting thing is this Marcus and Douglas, the tight end defensive end from Hayward High School in Brownsville, Tennessee, who is Williamson's teammate. You know, this is a kid that probably gets overlooked if there's not a coaching transition. He only had one other FBS offer and four altogether uh, because this was his first year playing football. If Coach Norvell and the staff were a year ahead of this, uh, he's probably not a guy that ever ends up on FSU's radar and. Uh, uh, you know, a very intriguing prospect at 6'6", 250, was a basketball player, had been a basketball player up until um, this point in his career. His tape is uh, impressive. You definitely see his athletic ability, both at tight end and at defensive end. And with his frame, 6'6", 250, you know, come in in a, a great strength and conditioning program, like getting on the training table. Uh, I think there's a variety of places Douglas could end up before he's done with his career i know they have bringing him in as a tight end but you know there's been a lot of tight ends that have turned into uh offensive tackles at some point in their career i'm not saying that that's what is going to happen with douglas but certainly with his size and athletic ability and the amount of weight he can put on his uh body it would not surprise me at all but uh yeah so you know recruiting we talked about uh, i think we talked about in december about you know, with the transition, there was going to be a dip in recruiting. But obviously, once the new coach was hired, you were going to see a spike because of the coaches he was bringing, uh, he was going to bring in that were already recruiting kids for the colleges they were working at. And that's kind of how it happened with Williamson and Douglas, where uh, running back coach David Johnson had been recruiting Williamson while he was at Tennessee. So uh, recruiting is certainly not an exact science. And uh, I think FSU has done a tremendous job in trying to close out this class. I'm, I'm sorry, Tommy. You think Pat can 
can visualize the grin that's on my face. I want, I want to go back to something he said. They're recruiting football players that are also athletes as opposed to recruiting athletes and trying to make them football players. Yeah, did I, did I, I hear that correctly? They, I think there's something to that, yeah. No, Keith, this is Keith beats this drum forever. We all it's the same same thing happens at the NFL draft level where all these experts scout these guys and they've seen four years of tape on how good a guy is. And then lo and behold, Dalvin Cook doesn't run a very good three cone drill and he's got to slip down to the second round. That That's that's why Keith is smirking over here. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. I was researching uh, uh, one of these kids that's coming in this weekend, the Edwards kid from Colquitt County, and he's been timed at a 4.8 at one event and a 4.5-something at another. And the reality of it is, the kid, when he, when he runs with the ball, he's football fast. He's probably not 4.8. He's probably not 4.5. He's probably about 4.6. But, uh, you know, sometimes I think we do put too much into measurables. Uh, I do agree with Keith into that. Uh, sometimes you got to let the film speak for itself. Um, and uh, now sometimes you got to make a, uh, you know, a bigger leap in your evaluation and try to project the kid out, depending on the caliber of this competition and high school and so forth and so on. But, uh, yeah, I think that they, have, you know, like I said, I think they've done a good job of going out and finding athletes that are football players or football players that are athletes. Back in the old days, uh, Pat, we called it pursuit speed or pursuee speed. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're going to run as fast as the guy you got to chase down, or you're going to run faster than the guy chasing you. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right all right so a couple of a couple of unknowns as we go into to signing day uh the biggest one is malachi weidman who's been committed forever didn't sign in the early signing period uh and now has taken several visits and and it would appear that that maybe florida state is not where he's going to land what what are your thoughts on him when as we're a week out uh you know there has you know i haven't seen a tremendous amount of buzz about it i think it you know he's listed as a hard commitment depending on which recruiting service you follow and uh, those type of things. And I, I, as we talked about before we came on the air, uh, I think Coach Norvell is scheduled to go in for with another home visit with him before uh, it goes to a dead period or non-contact period before they sign next Wednesday. And it sounds like maybe Coach Hamilton is going to be involved in that. And I think basketball has probably uh, played a bigger factor than maybe we initially thought. But, uh, you know, uh, when I the people I saw to think he is going to sign with Florida State, but that doesn't mean that we are right. Well, we'll cross the fingers there. And then, what have they got this weekend? I mean, I think you know we could debate it; it may not matter. But Florida State's got room for two more, maybe three more. But they've got a few more recruits coming in for visits this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They get, right now they're scheduled to bring in five. At one time, they were going to bring in a kid named Jalen St. John, an offensive tackle out of Missouri. Uh, that visit was canceled yesterday, according to Jalen's Twitter. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you know, we would think that they're done at offensive line uh, short of transfers. Uh, you would not think they're going to bring in a junior college offensive lineman or another high school offensive lineman based off what we know now. Uh, they are bringing in, right now, scheduled to bring in DJ Lundy from Irwin County High School. He's a running back, middle linebacker. Uh, He's got offers from uh, UGA and Virginia Tech and has visited both of those places. And uh, he would be a great, if they chose to keep him running back, he would give them a change of pace. He's a very powerful lower body kid and runs with great power, has very nifty feet for a kid his size at 225 to 230 pounds. But he could end up on either side of the ball. Then, of course, you've got a kid I was really impressed with on tape, T.J. Davis, who is a – Three-star prospect out of Metter High School in Metter, Georgia, six three two thirty. My first when I watched his film, the first thing I thought was, how does he only have the offers he's got, which are Florida State, Georgia Tech, Central Michigan, Middle Tennessee. Uh, he certainly his highlight tape is very impressive. I mean, uh, so you know to go out and find a kid like that uh, again, surprised he wasn't more heavily recruited. Uh, then they're bringing in a wide receiver named Chris Abrams Drain, who at one time was committed to LSU. He's from Spanish Fort High School in Spanish Fort, Alabama. Uh, Dejon Edwards, uh, obviously from Colquitt County, we've talked about him. And then they're also bringing in a cornerback slash athlete, Sidney Williams from Viger High School in Mobile. 
Uh, he is rated as the 24th best overall prospect in Alabama by 24-7. Uh, his junior tape is impressive. I could not find much senior tape on him. but uh, So it sounds like they're going to have to, coaching staff is going to have to make some decisions out of who out of that group of guys will ultimately leave what they scholarship offer our signable scholarship offer and uh but uh yeah certainly uh you know they are doing their best to try to find as many versatile guys as they can and plug these guys in where they're needed and where and you know some of these guys will develop into positions they're not playing in it Talking with Pat Burnham, our Osceola insider, the Osceola devoted FSU sports and fan experiences. Learn more online at theosceola.com. Pat, you mentioned linemen, and we're doing a disservice here. Probably we haven't talked about Robert Scott, who was a tackle commit, and it's news in itself that Florida State got an OT to commit coming out of high school. But uh, looking more immediate, because I'm assuming he's not an immediate impact guy as a freshman, do you think as uh, as we move forward that there's still a chance that uh, some grad transfer tackles, a tackle or more linemen, could come in after the semester? You know, like a Hornerbrook did last year. Uh, you know, not not be here for yeah, spring. I, I think yeah, I think that they're still probably going to look at the transfer portal as a way to add some instant depth uh, to the offensive line. I mean, obviously they're bringing in some uh, four young kids. Uh, from high school and Robert Scott was committed to Ole Miss and they flipped him last week and he's six six two ninety five and uh, you know does a really good job of uh, running his feet through contact and staying engaged with his, uh, his defender but you know he's probably a kid that's going to need a redshirt year and or a kid that could have benefited from being an early enrollee like uh, Zane Herring uh, just to come in and you know get better technically and get better. Uh, strength and condition wise, but uh he's definitely a kid that uh has his best football in front of him. But I would expect that you may see another transfer or two on the offensive line. Final question as we wrap up, Pat, were you I saw that the Osceola had a uh, game watching party last night for the UVA game over at, at uh one of our partners and supporters at Township. Were you were you part of the posse that was over there? I was there and we had a good time and we're probably gonna try to have a couple of more of those before uh the season's over, particularly on road games, and uh, we will certainly publicize those. That's a good time. I always hang out. I always tell old stories, new stories, and it's always fun to visit with Florida State fans. I was just going to ask how long the autograph line was for Jerry Kutz. I mean, it's probably there's probably still around the corner there. Well, as you well know, Jerry did occupy most of the people. Regaled <laughs> 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 them with stories from 1982 through today. So uh, the great thing about those is when Jerry is there. Uh, I do get to watch the game. <laughs> he's, he's, he's doing the talking. So. Hey, Jerry doesn't listen to this show, even though he supports it, so you're safe there. But that's a good line, Pat. We appreciate it. Hey, <laughs> right, guys. Well, thanks for having me as always. and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks, Pat. All right, Pat Burnham, our Osceola insider. You know, the one thing we didn't ask him about, Keith, even you as a non-recruiting guy will recall that every year in the old uh, setup, when everybody signed in February, there's always a mystery recruit at the 11th hour. Some rumor gets started about some mystery recruit that they saw in camp. Not sure who it is, but I think there's a mystery recruit who may sign. Well, because they were looking at his teammate, and everybody was ignoring him, and he flashed, and there you go. I don't know. There may be rumors of a mystery recruit. I just want to go back to my smile on my face because I constantly remind people there was a, there was a running back of some note out of Louisiana that came to Florida State that was basically recruited to be a defensive back. But he was a really, really good athlete. So they took a shot. Let's let's put him on the offensive side for a little while. And his name was Warwick Dunn. Found out he was a football player. Yeah, he's a football player. Yeah, and when Keith Jones rules the world, there'll be little asterisks, or there'll be two-star systems. There'll be the four- and five-star on the football player side and then the four- and five-star on the athlete side. Yeah, and if you want to go to the Olympics – Go with the five stars. There you go. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, continue here on Front Row Knowles. Trees went back. Me and Dale were singing. Little runaway. I was flying. Yeah, running down a dream. That never would come to me. Working on a mystery. Going wherever it leads. Running down a dream.
little while to go here on Front Row Knowles. We will wrap things up. But I have a question. Yes. Do you have a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished? I've got lots of them. Well, then you need to go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at www.ctf.nu. They can even help the Tom Blocks of the world. So... I uh, a little bit of breaking news here, Keith, perhaps, but I'm having minor ankle surgery next week. So my question is, since I'll be on the shelf, will Ron come do the things? Are you as a good buddy going to come over and take care of pick up the slack? Because I'm planning to milk this as much as I can milk it. Uh, I negatory mean, Ghost Rider, the pattern, the pattern is full. The pattern is full. Okay, so I'll try somebody else for, for whatever the to-do list is. Um, busy time at Florida State, a week from signing days. We mentioned men's basketball team back on the road in Virginia, 4 o'clock game against Virginia Tech. And then I don't think anybody would lose sight of this, but you do have a Super Bowl in between. And so Super Bowl Monday or the day after the Super Bowl, FSU Carolina at the Tuck is uh, is coming up. Softball, uh, see, well, women's basketball, first of all, I'll mention that. They play tomorrow night at home. I'll have that call against Boston College on uh, Thursday night. Softball has its fan day this Saturday. If you haven't been out there, obviously a consensus top 10 program at national champs a couple and years ago. There is not another team that has more fun playing. True. Than the softball team. True. They have uh, they open next weekend uh, with the Joanne Graff tournament here in town. New shade structure in place out there at the Seminole Softball Complex. Uh, men's and women's tennis is down in uh, Lake Nona this weekend, which is where the USTA National Tennis Center is, and the men are playing Florida. That's always a big deal. We've had Dwayne Holtquist on to talk about that. And, Keith, there's there's like a minute left, and I, we can't really get into this. Uh, well, this one, Leroy Butler, who was a guest on the show recently, he'll find out this weekend if he's going to make the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so good luck there. Uh, Deion Sanders said on the Dan Patrick Show yesterday, that he I will be a college football coach, and you, we've got 50 seconds next season. You think? Can you say Division Two? Here's where I would take it. I would take him as a position coach because I, I think as a DB coach, he could do a good job, and you could, from a recruiting standpoint, if the coach was willing, you could still leverage and let him go do the NFL Network broadcasts or whatever. And I know that would create some issues, but uh, I think the draw and the buzz there might be worth the risk. You think, I'm not saying for FSU. I'm saying for somebody. Think, you think primetime's going to be a segment coach? No, I don't. And that's why that's I, I, I don't see who's taking him as a head coach. Now, he said college. There's a lot of levels of college. Division two. There's a lot of levels. Um, I don't know. I don't see him coming here. I didn't buy it when uh, when his name came out. Well, evidently, he had a plan. He had a plan. And it was impressive, apparently. We'll see. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Enjoy the Super Bowl, uh, and we'll talk to you again next week right here on Front Row Knowles. No education. We don't need no thought control. Dark sarcasm in the classroom